following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Inside Out with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. Today we have with us Simran Singh in our topic, Inside a Spiritual Teacher. What causes someone to become a spiritual teacher who dedicates his or her life to inspiring others? Have you ever wanted that identity for yourself? Well, I have to confess, I have had, had that desire for myself at times, with varying degrees of success or lack thereof. <laughs> and what are the joys? What are the pitfalls of ego, expectations, and self-delusion that can accompany such an identity? I think I've touched all those bases. Uh, <laughs> let's meet Singran Singh. Simran Singh, host of 11.11 on Voice America's 7th Wave channel, publisher of 11.11 magazine, and creator of the Rebel Road Tour. Many of you have heard her program and would like to know more about her from the inside out. We will be asking Simran about her early life as a child of an Indian Sikh family growing up in Bomberg, South Carolina. It's Bomberg or Bamberg, I'm not sure. And what can she share about living at the divide of two cultures? How did those experiences shape her personality? And what was it like entering an arranged marriage? Why is she so passionate about transformation and authenticity? How does she handle having a bad hair day? Stay tuned and feel free to call in or email your questions. And now, here's Beth from the Inside Out. Welcome, everyone. I am so looking forward to the show. Uh, I had the privilege of talking to Simran for about two minutes uh, before we went on the air, and I feel so much better just having connected to her. Sometimes when I don't know somebody, I feel, oh, I guess uncertain, but uh, it, it, it really isn't about having things planned because I don't plan anything, but I think it's that I feel uncertain about the connection that I'm going to feel with the person, which is where everything comes from. And she was so delightful uh, that I feel very reassured that we are really going to have a great time today and that our connection is going to hopefully um, help lead to something that will also support you, the audience. But before we get onto that, let me share with you an email that we got from a listener from last week's show. Do you, those of you who listen, know that we were talking about what happens when the authority figures aren't around, and we talked a lot about sibling rivalry and how that shows up for people and their fear of being dominated and so on. And so, and you know, this is really an important issue, and the reason that it's so important is that this is something we live with all the time, just, you know, as we sort out picking orders, which is you know, among ourselves and, and have fears of one another, which we really want to overcome. But also because we want to co-create a world which is not hierarchical. And yet when we take away the traditional authority figures, very many of us are stuck with old patterning from our childhood about how we experienced being with family when the parents aren't there or with kids when the teachers aren't there or what happens when the Official teacher isn't there, and the substitute teacher is there, and you know we have some 
many of us some bad experiences, and we've been pretty bad ourselves at times. So um, it's a very important topic for us as we're going into what we are hoping is going to be an age of co-creation and mutual support where we all do different jobs, but we don't have any hierarchy. So I really encourage you to listen to that show if you didn't. It's on podcast, and the message was, thanks for another inspiring show. The piece about trying to dominate others when the authority is gone was very helpful, and how it is a reaction to feeling dominated, along with the fear of the possible chaos, having no authority figures present. Lots to consider. Well, thank you so much for that message. I always love when we get emails after the fact from our listeners and we know that we've touched something for them. And uh, James and I have been going through an experience, as a matter of fact, where we were selling a house and buying a house, and our real estate agent kept deferring to the other real estate agent, and there was nobody fighting for us, and there was no authority, and we were just like drowning in chaos. <laughs> It was like the older brother was dominating yeah. the younger sister, and we yeah. had the younger sister. <laughs> yeah, the younger sister was our agent, and the older brother was the listing agent. Well, anyway, it was total chaos, and I said, oh, my God, you know, this is supposed to be mutual support and co-creation, but, boy, I'm in the real world now, and this ain't working. So, um, But, of course, it wasn't working because there was no consciousness. Well, if you don't have any consciousness, things tend to not work. <laughs> but anyway, so we got through that. So today, you know, today's topic isn't all that far from the other in the sense that um, I'd like to ask uh, our guest Simran Singh some questions about a lot of questions. Of course, I probably won't end up asking half of them because we'll get carried away on something. But uh, she's talked about, you know, not looking like a spiritual teacher, being a spiritual teacher, and I know the pitfalls of any role that you get into. I mean, one thing is to do the work and the other is to get into the role. And so this is also part of the same movement of all of us trying to come into our own and bring the gifts that we have and received what we need, which, of course, is the world that we're trying to co-create. So, with no further ado, I would love to introduce you to my guest, Simran Singh. Oh, Hi. thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to diving into the unknown and seeing what I can discover about myself. <laughs> oh, oh, goody. Are you serious about that? <laughs> I, I, I love that. I really love that. Well, you know what I'd really like to do? I feel inspired to ask you first, why is it that it's so important for you to do this consciousness work. Now, I've, I saw your TEDx talk, and I, you know, I can appreciate that you came to a crisis in yourself, but that doesn't lead everybody into, and I'm going to use the dread expression, but I think you'll understand the, the way in which I mean it, to becoming a spiritual teacher, because the minute you get on that microphone and you say, I have something to share, you are a spiritual teacher. In fact, Anybody who is offering any kind of wisdom and guidance is a spiritual teacher, whether they have that label or not. Um, so, But something must have moved you just beyond your own experience to want to get out there and, and do it and be on the other side of that microphone. So what do so you think that is, was? This is going to sound very uh, self-serving and selfish, and it may even come across a little narcissistic, <laughs> and it may even come across as a little arrogant, 
But this is the fact of the matter, and this is the most important piece that I think people are missing. I'm not here as a spiritual teacher or a guru. I'm here as an example. And that example is a byproduct, because why and how I started everything that I started was because I saw that there was a need for me to heal, to grow, to become empowered, to become stronger. And the only way that I was going to do that was to do it for myself. And so every single thing I have done, every step of the way, has been for me. It has been for me to experience me in new ways. It has been for me to heal, to grow. If I got up in front of uh, a group of people on a microphone at a TEDx, I did not do that to share a message. I did that to hear myself, to be witness to myself, to give myself the, the stage and the value that was necessary to honor me. And that's what we're really here for because in my view, there's no one in the room but you. There's no one in the room but you as one person. And when Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see, I, I believe what he was trying to say is, you're the one that heals you. You're the one that grows. You're the one that empowers. You're the one that is here to teach you. And so the only way that I could do anything in this world for anyone else, if there isn't anyone else out there, was to do everything specifically for me. And when I could touch my own heart and soul to that degree of, t- of being who I needed to be for me, it was going to ripple out in a way that people would recognize a part of themselves in that and they would be able to hear certain things that I could say or feel certain things that I was feeling. But the intention was never to go out there and say, I'm looking to be a teacher, I'm looking to be a guru, I'm looking for fame, I'm looking to make money, I'm looking to create an income, I'm looking to create anything. The magazine, the radio show, the speaking, the Rebel Road Tour, the writing, everything I do, I do because it feeds my soul, it feeds my creativity, and it allows me to see more of myself so that I can honor me for who I am and who I chose to be on this planet. Well, I love what you're saying, and I actually see things exactly the same way. <laughs> this may or may not be a surprise <laughs> to you. I see it the same way. I never, I didn't quite... I didn't become a, quote, spiritual teacher either. I actually started out in a 12-step program. And in 12-step programs, you come into the room, you've read the book, you make a comment. And I was talking about my own journey, and people were listening. And they would come up to me afterwards and ask me about it. But I wasn't saying any of this to influence them. It was just a natural expression of where I was in my uh, path that I needed to talk about these things and think about these things. So I'm totally in sync with you about that. But I do believe, and I don't mean to quibble, but I, I guess this is, um, and this may sound defensive, but I really, I'm not, I'm not feeling attacked, so I don't have to defend, is that that is always what a teacher is. We, we believe in oneness, that everything is one, so the student and teacher are one. And my experience in are doing the work over these, you know, 33 or more years, 34, is that um, I just keep learning and I'm sharing my process with people. This is, and it's, and is it coming out of an intention to change them? It's just, I have a need to express. It's just part of who I am. And I, I, I have a need to share my process with people. And out of that, it just seems to happen that people either do or do not resonate with that. It's either helpful to them or it isn't. 
And so it was not with that, was with any intention. And I so appreciate what you're saying about not going after fame and fortune. I, I think that this is an important thing for people to hear because there are people out there who um, actually want to be spiritual teachers. I've bumped into it many times. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they, and they get very upset when they're not listened to. And you really can't speak in order to be heard. Because, well, you know, Beth, I think yeah. we've created that in our world. As I've gone around on, on this uh, Rebel Road tour that I needed to do to find pieces of myself that had gifts or expressions or an unknown self that I was seeking, I, I discovered that I seemed to fall in the spectrum of, of two people, of two different uh, fields of people. And so there's this one group that I'll meet that want to place me up on this pedestal and want to revere me as this guru, and then they meet me and they go, oh, she's just an ordinary girl. She's had pain. She's learned how to get out of it. Wow, what am I, why am I so enamored with someone so ordinary? And then I have the other spectrum of people that come and see me and they think I'm all that, and then they go, wow, she's just an ordinary girl just like me. If if she can do this, if she can pull herself out, yeah. if she can be creative, I can too. And either way, it's good. You know, I think I have always been the kind of person that has forged ahead and, and, and been someone that has been willing to be vulnerable and real and transparent and willing to really stand in what I believe that this creative expression I have embodied as a place for me to fully understand and know my God capacity. And... What that means is being willing to state that out loud. And so often people will look at me and look at what I do and they say, she's all about herself. She's all about promoting herself or she's all about speaking about herself or she's all uh, about you know, stating more creative things that are about her. And, and it triggers them. And then on the other hand, I have people that say, oh my goodness, look at how this woman constantly is promoting other people and showing other people and doing everything through her work. And the beauty of all that is you're only seeing what you are projecting outward that you really believe about yourself. And so those people that think it's all about me, well, maybe the lesson is to say to them, it's okay. You can be all about yourself. You can express yourself. You can talk about yourself. And maybe that's where everyone should be. Maybe we should finally celebrate ourselves and each other. And the ones that see how I serve and, and give for other people, then maybe it's so that they recognize within themselves that they have the capability of being that kind of steward for other people. And they've learned that they can give themselves a, a back step in order for others to shine their light. And in the end, their light still shines brighter. And so there's so many ways that we can receive this information. And it's not for me to be attached, whether I trigger someone or whether I allow someone to really receive a huge aha moment. And that is so important because people are going to see what they already believe. I, I've experienced that many, many times. A, a wise man once said to me, Beth, people are not going to understand you. And what he meant by that is not that I'm different from everybody else, which I'm not. And uh, I wrote, for instance, my book, Living with Reality, is really about how we as human beings operate, how our egos operate, what we need to do, because it's all we're all the same. So there really is no difference. You know, I, I laugh about it, and being an extraordinary person who's just like everybody else. Um, but what he meant was, 
and I understood this because I do feel pain about this. I'm not beyond this. I'm not beyond feeling pain when um, I am offering something because I feel guided. And that's a lot for me. It's like, okay, I feel guided to offer this to someone. I'm a counselor. You know, that's what I do. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then uh, someone will attack me for giving them what they've asked for with half of themselves. They've half asked for it as they, they want some clarity about something and then they're attacking me. And then they will project onto me um, some venal or corrupt motivation for what I'm saying, which is, you know, I, it's a wonderful opportunity for me to look inside and ask myself if I still doubt myself, if I'm still suspicious, because why else would it bother me? So Exactly. Well, there is one... The one thing I've learned, Beth, especially over these last few years, is the deepest chasm exists because we all want to be just like everybody else. We really just want to be like everyone else. And we all want to be so special and have such a unique quality that we're like nobody. Exactly. And those two sides of us, end up in a battle and a conflict and what ends up happening is if we are going to go into our dysfunction boy are we going to make sure that we're like everyone else so that we can go into dysfunction and we're going to make our dysfunction so unique and so special that we got our own story and the same thing goes for when we step into our power when we step into our power and our presence we want to be like everyone else so that they celebrate us too, but yet we want some special quality that lets us stand out and above everyone else. And if we could just understand that we are all that and none of that at the same time, that we are just as special as one another and not so, and just be okay with it, I think we wouldn't go into the places of, of fight and flight that we go into at such extreme levels and we level out to be these beings that we so desperately are wanting to express as. Well, sometimes where I get caught is um, when I feel the pain of the, the person, because being an intuitive is really about being able to tap so deeply into someone that it's like at that moment and for that function whatever the universe is asking us to do, uh, it's, it's hard to distinguish between ourselves and them because we are one anyway, and it's in that moment we're really functioning at that level because that, that uh, I call it um, oneness and differentiation, you know, that we're all individuated in the context of oneness is what differentiation is. So that when I'm working with somebody, um, I don't have that, any kind of a normal barrier between me and them. I am so in tune what they're feeling. And so when I feel their pain and I reach out to them with whatever is coming through and, um, and, there I, and then I feel them shutting down because something inside them hasn't relaxed enough to be able to not feel threatened by the very thing that they're asking for, I do feel their pain, and and in those moments, I am triggered, and haven't yet, and I'm almost seventy. <laughs> haven't got this one yet. Um, I haven't yet been able. Some I shouldn't put it this way because you'll think that I always have this experience. I don't always have any experience, but occasionally I'll still get triggered by, and I always have to look at why. Uh, why at that moment I have lost 
my ability to differentiate from them and just say, okay, I see they're struggling here. I see their pain. And it's okay. This is their moment of evolution. This is as far as I'm supposed to go. Anyway, I I was I was extremely empathic for so many years, and I think that that's part of the reason that I became such a hermit and and really isolated myself from much of the world because that empathy would um, be something that I could viscerally feel in my body. It it really just overtook me, and I would find myself exhausted and find, find myself hurting and think it was me and for so many years didn't realize I was taking on other people's pain. Yeah. And it was not until I actually started doing my own work and really reached a place of detachment. And when I say detachment, that doesn't mean that you don't care. It doesn't mean you don't have compassion. What it meant for me was I finally reached a place where I realized, wait a minute, there's nothing or no one to say fix or heal out there because we are all the divine. So why do I think that I hold the key or have the answer or have the message for someone else when they are really the divine? What if instead of me showing up for them, they've just shown up for me so I have the ability to just experience and express myself with a gift or a persona that I didn't even know that I had and to really expand that to the fullest capacity? And when I got to that place and I approached every experience as it really showing up for me rather than the other person, not only was I clearer in my interaction with that person, I didn't take on their stuff, and it empowered them enough because I was able to see them as divine that something shifted that they then were able to have whatever aha moment or shift in their health or shift in their experience that they needed. And I think that that's where we are is at a place where we understand there's nothing to say, fix, or heal on the outside, and actually there's nothing to say, fix, or heal on the inside, that we really are here just as experience experiencing itself. Well, I have to interrupt you now because we're supposed to go to commercial break. But don't go away. We'll be back in just a minute. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Bring Beth into your world in person or via the Internet. Learn how by visiting her website, BethGreen.org. At the website, sign up for her newsletter to keep abreast of her latest activities, blogs, videos, and more. Just for signing up, you'll receive a free PDF copy of Living with Reality, her 688-page volume that helps us understand ourselves in relatable terms, as well as offers a proven program to heal and co-create a better world. But there's more. Learn about Beth's four other books, both fiction and nonfiction. Check out her gorgeous music, which is heartfelt and mystical. Become acquainted with Beth and James's programs for healing and training, and discover their community, the Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which welcomes you wherever you are in the world. All this and more can be found at Beth's website, www.bethgreen.org. Again, that's bethgreen.org. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're tuned in to Inside Out with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. 
To reach us on the show, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send us an email, the address is beth at bethgreen.org. Now, back to Inside Out. Welcome back. Thanks so much for sticking around. Uh, today I'm interviewing Simran Singh, who is the, uh, the host of 11 and 11 Radio on VoiceAmerica.com and the publisher of 1111 Magazine and a, a woman who does many things. And so for those of you who have been listening, I was just beginning to share with Simran that I'm beginning to feel like I look like a complete idiot and uh, she looks so together. And uh, so... <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. You know, if there's okay. one thing that I love to do, Beth, is I love to let people know that, that, that I am just like them. I hurt, I have pain, I have been dysfunctional, I have been wounded, I have created chaos in my life, I have created every single thing that was in my life, and I did it for the purposes of allowing myself to know the polarities of life. But and I'm so, not talking about the past, I'm talking about the present. So what I'd love to hear from you, Simran, is like, what are you struggling with now? What are you working through? What are you working on? Well, if, you, if you're asking me, do I get triggered? Do I get upset? When do people do something that gets under my skin and I yeah. go back into those yeah. places? Yeah. When, when you what, have a bad hair can, day. Do you have bad hair days or am I the only one? <laughs> well, what I can tell you is because of the philosophy that I believe, Yes. which is that we are experience experiencing itself, that has removed all triggers for me completely. Really? Because I realize that whatever happens, whether it's a flat tire, whether it is a car accident, whether it is um, a person getting upset at me, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, this is another experience. I'm to experience the emotion that I'm feeling. I'm to experience where that is in my body. I'm to experience. And so I immerse myself in the experience rather than... Um, just getting hooked on the story, and or rather than just getting hooked on a piece of what has happened, and and just realizing that if I'm here fully as experience experiencing itself, then everything is good. Absolutely everything that could possibly happen to me is a good thing because it's just an experience. And so I really don't. I, I stay in a very calm and level place all of the time. It's just I, if I if I have something show up and I feel some anger that rises within me, to me it's beautiful because it is that same thing that children do. You see, I have a three-year-old, and when he throws a tantrum and he's kicking and screaming on the floor and tears are streaming out of his eyes and his hair's matted to his head and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, he's in the full ecstasy of the emotion of upset and anger, and it is the most beautiful thing in the world to see. And in a split second, he can switch off because an airplane can fly by in the sky. And then he'll be giggling, and he'll be flying around the yard, and he'll have his arms spread, and he'll be laughing. And in that moment, he's in the full ecstasy of his experience as that. And so I really have gotten to a place now where I just look at life and everything in it as an experience and dive completely into the ecstasy of the moment. And what I find is if there is an upset, because I did... Uh, Dovin, if that's such a word, so deeply <laughs> into that emotion that I feel it completely in the ecstasy that it is, and then all of a sudden it just washes away and I'm in the next experience. And that's just how I live my life now, and it's taken years 
seven years, the last seven years of really doing my own intense personal work of looking at myself and saying, where is that in me and all the things that I do? Um, and I talk about that. That was, you know, my, my writing of my two current books is because I needed to go back and re-witness, how do I really do this? How has life shown up as conversations with the universe? How have I stepped into this new enlightenment, this your journey to enlightenment experience that I now have? And it was because I allowed myself to really first look at everything as a mirror to me, but then start to transform that into, rather than the mirror, it is me, all of it's me, and let me just dive into it and feel it and be in it, rather than analyze it, then fix it, then change it, let me just be in it, and that's been a beautiful, beautiful piece for me. You know, I don't know, um, uh, you know, if what I'm about to say is true or not, but, uh, (laughs) because I have to feel it when I'm saying it energetically. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like um, this, uh, I, this I, I don't mean this to be condescending or to be argumentative. I'm just really listening to you. You know, I'm trying to feel in myself how I feel about what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I believe that there were years in my life where I felt more the way you're describing and uh, maybe not. See, I, I can't really know that for sure. But as you're describing that, thinking, oh, I remember feeling that way. I remember feeling that way. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned to do, you know, in my, through my guidance is, you know, let emotions go through me like a thunderstorm. You know, just yes. let them pass through and all of that stuff. You know, I've been there and I've lived in that way. And there are certain places that I still feel, I guess, you know, I have taught, I mean, I know these words and they have come out of my mouth. I'll say there is nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong. I've said very, very similar things to what you're saying. And maybe you're better at it than I was. But I, I actually felt that way. I mean, I've taught that because I just was that. And then there are places where I feel that the next thing is like anger comes up for me and I say, Maybe the anger is there actually to tell me that there is something wrong and that, you know, that God created anger and God created fear. And one of the examples that I use is, um, you know, if you're, if you don't have fear, and I'm not saying that you're suggesting this, you you know, you're going to get killed because you're going to sit on that railroad track and watch the train come down and say, oh, that's interesting. So, um, if, and yet, if you're too scared, you're going to be paralyzed and not be able to get off the track. That, that the, the fear and the anger and the upset, they all have value. The, uh, I'm going to come back to the example of the, um, uh, the escrow that we were in, or that we are still in, actually. And we were having trouble with this agent. And I kept feeling intuitively that there is, that something was wrong, something was wrong. I could feel it, feel it, feel it. And then, came to discover, now this is on the external level, of course, that um, nothing was getting done and uh, there really was something, quote, wrong, and not in the sense of moral- moralistically, oh, this shouldn't have happened, you know, the Holocaust shouldn't have happened, or, um, uh, you know, all these people shouldn't have been slaughtered, or that woman shouldn't have gotten raped. It, it's not a moral indignation kind of, it's like, uh-oh, I'm sensing something isn't flowing. And 
and then I need to allow myself to feel that, and I feel things very viscerally. I feel I feel the upset until I get the message. Once I get what's going on, everything changes for me. I start feeling different. Well, almost each, almost any time when I discover what what the issue is or what, quote, I would call the problem. You probably wouldn't call it a problem. But, but what I think of this as the way the, the universe communicates to me is that the universe is telling me that I need to look at something, that I need to become aware of something. Oh, I'm feeling fear. That's because the train is coming down the tracks. I'm feeling an upset. That's because there's something going on a thousand miles away and I may not even know what it is, but I need to become aware of it. Once I become aware... Ah, that's when I start relaxing. Because I think then you just come from two different places. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily different. I think it's just two different places, and either one is fine. I don't really view the world as a place where we have obstacles and challenges and things are there, and now we've got to look at everything, we've got to find it inside, and we've got to heal it and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I look at the world as a playground, that we've actually created a place that speaks back to us, that is actually us, that, that we are not in the world, that we are actually the world and every piece and part of the world, mm-hmm. and that the world is playing with us in ways to get us to, instead of buying into the illusion, instead of buying into what looks like a challenge with the escrow and all of that, but to look deeper, are there other signs and symbols that are actually leading us out? So if you tell me, if you ask me to, to tell you something that, that typically would cause a trigger for most other people, um, and, and I can give you an example so you can see kind of where my mind yeah. and heart go, is yeah. as I was going on this tour this past year on this RV that was an 11-month commitment, halfway through in December when I came home for South Carolina, my attorney called me and said, I don't want to alarm you, but I want to let you know you're going to be served papers during your show when you get back to Charleston. Mm-hmm. And I... And I was going through an issue with my ex-husband who had fully agreed to let me have the children on this journey as a way to broaden their minds and everything, and then all of a sudden he decided to change his mind. Mm. And so, you know, I was going to be served these papers, and as I was sitting there before the show, I was going, served. If I were to get out of the illusion of anything involving legal, court, what this might look like to most other people, and I really stepped into what the symbolism was that was going on here, what could I discover? How's the universe really playing with me, and what are the messages or the conversations with the universe that are actually happening? And so I started sitting there, and I'm going, I'm going to be served. My husband is serving me. He's serving me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be served. And so all of a sudden, I, I went, oh, gosh, this experience, whatever it is in regard to children's custody or a court battle, this is serving me in some way. This is part of my growth and my expansion. Okay, bring it on. I can't wait. So it allowed me to understand this is another way for me to play, and I'm actually going to be served in this. And then I started thinking, okay, child custody. This is about child custody. What's the bigger message here? Bigger than even what the human being would look at in terms of my own children's custody. What's the bigger message? And then I thought, wow, this is about the inner child's custody. How many of us have given away our inner child to the world? Has the world taken custody of our child or seriousness or our wounds taken custody of our inner child rather than us 
having the custody of our own inner child? Where has my life held custody of my child or other people held custody of my child rather than me holding her, me playing with her, me experiencing her? And all of a sudden, it was this beautiful gift of, wow, this is an opportunity not only for me to go through this process of being served, but now for me to re-engage in an experience where I take that custody of my own inner child in the process as well. That's how I view life, and that's how I get through different types of obstacles and challenges and things that go on. Um, I don't view them as... Um, things that are here to stop me. I don't view them as things that are here just to make me feel bad and punch back out at the world again. I view them as a way to let me experience myself and feel into the allness of me that I am in connection to everything that has just happened and well, allow I, that to be embraced. That is really not different from what I do. That that actually is the same because I don't get stuck and perhaps I'm not expressing myself very well with, oh, I'm the victim of this or any of those things. I'm always trying to understand how I'm supposed to grow. But see, uh, one of the places where I think we are different, but maybe we aren't because what you just said is like, oh, I said, that's me. <laughs> I am that. Um, is that there are things, let's say I had... Uh, a husband who wanted full custody of the children, and I thought he was abusive and damaging. I, I could say, okay, what in me is this challenging? Uh, you might not be putting it this way, but this is what I would do. What in me is it challenging? How should I understand this? I always look for the greater symbolism. I do all of that. But at the same time, there is a place in me that feels real pain over the pain that is caused by the unconscious behavior on this planet. And I have not been able to get beyond that. And there are times when in my head I'll say, well, you know, I get in a very detached place. Okay, I'm very detached and blah, blah, blah. You know, but it, it doesn't really 100% stick for me because for me, what I see is a tremendous amount of needless suffering of real sentient beings, whether they're animals or vegetables or people. Uh, that we are co-creating this needless suffering by our unconscious behavior or because of something we're stuck in or because usually it's because of the pain that everybody's in that's causing them to behave in certain ways. And that calls to me because I feel that pain acutely. And I've always been that way since I can remember, you know, five years old. If I remember, you know, being having that, that drive and that's probably why I became uh, a social activist uh, when I was nine years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's the same energy that I still feel. And I don't feel that everything is in order in the universe. I think everything is in flux and in evolution in the universe. And that there isn't anything wrong with that. If I look at that objectively, well, it's all evolving and I'm part of its evolution. But there's a lot of pain in it, too. So I, I'm not trying to have the same, the last word, but we have to take a break now. We're going into our commercial break. And we will be back. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Bring Beth into your world in person or via the Internet. Learn how by visiting her website, bethgreen.org. 
at the website. Sign up for her newsletter to keep abreast of her latest activities, blogs, videos, and more. Just for signing up, you'll receive a free PDF copy of Living with Reality, her 688-page volume that helps us understand ourselves in relatable terms, as well as offers a proven program to heal and co-create a better world. But there's more. Learn about Beth's four other books, both fiction and nonfiction. Check out her gorgeous music, which is heartfelt and mystical. Become acquainted with Beth and James's programs for healing and training, and discover their community, the Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which welcomes you wherever you are in the world. All this and more can be found at Beth's website, www.bethgreen.org. Again, that's bethgreen.org. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. You're tuned in to Inside Out with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To reach us on the show, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send us an email, the address is beth at bethgreen.org. Now, back to Inside Out. Welcome back to Inside Out. Well, I can't believe that we are two-thirds through the show already, and I haven't even begun to ask Simran the questions I want to ask her. So I want to go back to a question I asked her before and, um, and see what pops up this time. Because sometimes you ask the same question five minutes later and something else pops up. So... <laughs> So now that we're more acquainted and I hope also more connected, uh, I, I was sharing with someone in the breaks that, that I still felt there's, there's some imperative that she feels from her own life experience, from her own childhood, probably, because it seems that everything starts there, doesn't it, that has set her on this course that, that is the impulse behind the way her journey is expressing itself now, if I... I'm trying to use words that maybe will be clear to you where I'm trying to use your vocabulary instead of my own, you know. Um, and um, I'd like her to just look in her heart and see if something comes to mind. Well, if you want to know what has probably been the reason uh, that I have expressed myself creatively in so many ways and needed to um, have a voice and needed to uh, be on stage or behind a microphone or yes. do all the things that I do. It, yes. it does go back to childhood. For all of it, uh, us, it does. We have these stories that we have in our minds and these perceptions that we've created in mind. A really big one was when I was seven. And we uh, were in a very small town in South Carolina. We were the only Indian family in that town at the time. And there were four kids in the family, two girls and two boys. And the this small town with one red stoplight and 3,500 people, the big thing to do there happened to be the Little Miss beauty pageant. And everyone in the town kept telling my mother, who worked in public schools, that you have to put your daughters in this Little Miss beauty pageant. It's what we all do here. It's the big thing that everyone turns out for every year in the, in the county. And there's going to be everyone's relatives and families, and it ends up being almost standing room because there's not enough seats to fill everyone in the big gymnasium. And so she entered us. My sister was four, I was seven, and we went to the rehearsals, and we were very excited, and we got our poofy dresses and our crinolines and got to meet all these beautiful girls. 
and the night of the pageant came, and everything went smoothly, just like we rehearsed, but then midway through the pageant, during just before intermission, they decided to change something, and they called all of the girls back up on stage one more time. And so we were lined up on stage, all with our sashes around our dresses, just kind of standing there waiting to see what was going to happen next. And all of the little black girls were on my left, and all of the little white girls were on my right, and my sister and I were in the middle. And in that moment, the mistress of ceremonies called my sister and I to the front of the stage. And I grabbed my sister's hand and I squeezed and I couldn't believe that I was going to be honored with something, that she was going to be honored with something in front of all of these little girls. You know, what was so special about us? But I was thrilled. And in that moment, she said, we'd like to thank you for being in the Little Miss Beauty Pageant. However, we choose one black queen and one white queen, and you two are neither, so we're going to have to disqualify you. So please take these coloring books and crayons and go behind the curtain. Now, in that moment as a seven-year-old, I saw an entire audience worth of people start whispering and pointing and laughing. And my parents were sitting in the front row, and they sent me behind a curtain to stand by myself for the next 45 minutes of this pageant and wouldn't even let me go to them. So what that did was I went behind the curtain, and in my mind, a tape started playing. And that tape was, you don't fit. You're not lovable. The world will never accept you. The world is not safe. You'll never be the epitome of beauty or even be accepted in this society because you're not like them. And that tape continued to play and would result in me creating experiences that were reincarnations of that same experience again and again and again until I chose to no longer believe the lie. Now, the interesting part of this story is that my sister was called back out on stage because she was to perform during intermission. Mm -hmm. She was four years old. She was precious, had a bowl haircut, sang beautifully. And when she finished a song, which this is a conversation with the universe, but somehow I don't think those people got it because her song was, this land is your land. This land mm-hmm. is mine. Okay, she Simran, can I interrupt and you? She got a standing ovation. ovation. And so her tape that started playing yeah. was, I'm accepted, I'm loved, yeah. I'm okay. all of these things. And yes. so that just illustrates how two children can grow up with completely different paths because she later became the governor of South Carolina and she is today yeah. running for her second term. But I became introspective, shy, and a hermit that later became a workaholic that finally decided I need to see myself. I need to hear my own voice regardless could, could, could of whether I, the rest of the world does or not. Could I interrupt you for a second because I'm still back at the story and, um, uh, you know, I, I have a question for you. Uh-huh. When you said that you couldn't get to your parents, did your parents know that you had been disqualified? Well, of course, they were sitting in the audience. Okay. And now, I'm just, this is just a question that popped into my mind, so I want to ask you. Did you want them to stand up and say, no, this is not acceptable, you cannot do this to, your, to my daughter? You know, I don't think that that has ever crossed my mind. The, the, the feelings and the thoughts that occurred and are known at this time from that experience was just this blatant denial of 
of, of my uh, presence, this blatant mm-hmm. denial that I was of any value or that I was equal or any of those things. Yeah. Because yeah. I knew my parents loved me. That was not the case. Well, I knew my not... parents loved me. But what I experienced was a world that did not love me. And yes. I experienced being placed behind a curtain, being placed behind a screen. And in a seven-year-old's mind, that meant that the world was not a safe place to be. And so I totally if you, understand if you that. ask me what, you know, what has made me be this person that creates a magazine or be on the radio or put on a one-woman show or do a TED Talk, these have each been steps in my own growth and healing to allow me to see me to allow me to know I was valuable. And that's why I started off this show when you asked the question the first time. Every single thing that I've done, I had to do for me. I had to do to celebrate me because in the world that I lived in, the one that I was trying to value and honor and allow finally to be seen and to be cherished was the one that had not been so long ago. And so that's why I tell people I'm not here as a teacher or a guru. I'm here to really heal myself and grow myself. And, and as an example of that, to be an impact for others to do the same. If my words are words that allow people to be inspired, then that's beautiful. If my steps allow people to have courage, then that is phenomenal. But that was not the intention. And that doesn't mean I don't care for people. It just meant that I understand clearly that if we each simply just do what we need for ourselves, that will ripple out in the world in an effect that changes this world. We're not here to fix anyone else because we can't. No, I, I appreciate that, but I, I'm just telling you that I'm sort of stuck on that moment, and I'm inviting you to consider the possibility that there may be an additional piece of this story, because I totally appreciate what you're sharing and, and what that must have felt like. Um, I was a very if unusual is, kid. If there yeah. is a, an additional piece to that story, yeah. then it is not something that either I am ready to reveal to myself or it is not something that is relevant, that I have chosen what was relevant to me at this time. You know, I think we each have our experiences and we're each going to have our perspectives about others' experiences based on our own filters and our own pain. And, and that's why when we do that or when we feel something like that impulse, um, it's to me, it's not about trying to get the other person to get somewhere. It's more about, okay, what's this experience I'm having inside that wants this person to go somewhere else? Because that part mm-hmm. really is then about the self. It's, it's really trying to take you back to a place within you that knew that experience. It may have been different details, but that knew that experience in your own way. And maybe there's something inside of you that's asking to know something and might be revealing right now. In this moment, that is what I know I was to know about that experience. And I've spent the last seven months allowing myself to feel and to express and to move through many different childhood experiences very transparently and openly on stage so Mm -hmm. that I could see those many children. And in doing so, other people have seen themselves, and then they have something they can take back and work with. Well, absolutely. Um, I just felt guided to bring that up. I think that I had uh, some experiences, a lot of experiences as a child, where I felt um, I just had no place. And 
I felt a lot of support from my mother. Um, you know, I, I think about things as simple as they wouldn't let me take books out of the library because, you know, I was asking for adult books when I was a child and my parents marched down to the library and said, my daughter is, uh, you know, can, uh, my daughter can read any book she wants to. So there was certainly, now I'm not comparing, contrasting, I'm just saying that is a trigger for a story of my own, which, uh, you know, maybe is the reason that I had that thought, but I just wanted to share it with you because it did come up for me, and so I did. That that oh, thought I appreciate my it, mind. and I honor that. Yes, absolutely. You know, who knows why I why it was that I felt guided to ask you that? Is there um, anything? Of course, I know we're not going to have very much time. What was it like for you to to be a Sikh American at a time when there was? I gather there wasn't very much of a community for you when you were growing up of people who were like you in those you know, ways. I created, I created a story that my soul wanted to experience where there was prejudice and where there was uh, a, a kind of a uniqueness to, to the point that I had to stand out in almost a negative way. And I created all of these experiences because I, as a soul, feel like I chose to discover my beauty and my power and my presence and my voice and my ability to adapt and to change. And to do all of those things, I would first have to create the opposite. So I would have to create ugliness and weakness, and I'd have to create isolation and prejudice and all of these things that we say don't feel so good. But when we look back... You know, what do we like to read? What do we like to go see at movies? We love the drama. We love you know, <laughs> Not me. the depths and then the heights. And we create that in our lives. We each are creating a story that we can then be the hero of as we emerge out of it into the light. And what I just love for people to understand is those dark nights, those dark places of our life, those places of weakness and sadness and anger, that's where the ember of light sits. It's just as beautiful because the light can't be seen in the light, but the light can sit in the dark, and that's the ember that glows through all of those experiences. And so rather than trying to get away from that being or not feel certain feelings, if we can get to the place of saying, wow, I just I can see how, how important that was to taking me to becoming my light and my beauty and my power and my presence. How necessary and what a beautiful part of the story I created in that because it was exactly what would lead down this other path. If we can go to that place of celebration and embrace of our life, then all of a sudden we realize it's always experience and it was all necessary. And then there's no regret and there's no remorse. There's no trigger. There's just the opportunity to feel everything, to truly feel every emotion to its fullest expanse. Yes, well, I, my perception is that I didn't create this and we didn't create this, that we co-create with the universe. And so, however, where I think we're dead on, you know, the same page is my view is, uh, whatever it is, we have to make the best of it. And making the best of it is learning and growing through every experience we have. And so ultimately, it really doesn't matter in my mind whether you think we created the experience or I think we didn't create the experience, that it's a co-creation with the universe. I think what's, what matters is what are we doing with it? Are we using it to learn, to grow? And I would also say to love ourselves and others. So Simran Singh, uh, we have to close I'd love to thank you for having been on Inside Out today and for sharing so openly and honestly with us. 
And uh, maybe we'll have you back, and I'll get to ask you some of those other questions I didn't get to ask today. Oh, thank you, Beth. Well, the one thing that I do know is that we are in love all of the time. We are of love all of the time. We are with love all of the time, and we are simply all here to be as love in each and every moment. Thank you. And James, would you like to share what we're doing next week? Yes, next week, our topic will be Celebrate with Meaning, How to Honor Events and People that Matter to Us. We've been talking about celebration here during this show. We all know how to celebrate, dinner, flowers, a party, a gift. But are these traditions always geared to the person or occasion? Or are we just doing what's expected? Like, I've always given my son a Christmas present. Or trying to look caring by doing the right thing, as the other parents are going all out for their daughter's wedding. On today's show, I'm sorry, on next week's show, we're going to talk about celebration. We'll laugh at some of the things we've done for the wrong reasons. Then we'll look at some people or occasions we want to recognize and really do it consciously. We'll tap into the spirit of the event or person, then uncover the most meaningful way to celebrate them. We need your participation. Who or what do you want to honor? So email or call in live so you can help us tune into their spirit and explore the best way to celebrate them. And we'll be joined by Madam Mazurka and the Guru, two of Beth's personas, who will help create more meaningful celebrations that truly honor the spirit of what matters to us. And so that's our show and a final word from Beth. Well, thanks, James. I have no idea why we're talking about celebration next week. I've never given it a thought, but I'm sure something will come up and it'll be fun. <laughs> and it'll be fun, because it always is. And I'd like to thank everyone and also encourage people, if you want to learn more about Simran Singh, to check out her radio show on voiceamerica.com, which is 1111 on Seventh Wave. So thank you so much for joining us today. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the seventh thank you for making us a part of your week listen for the next edition of inside out with beth green and james maynard next tuesday at 6 p.m eastern time 3 p.m pacific time on the voice america seventh wave channel have a great week visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by voice america talk radio network its staff and management hi i'm joe swedish ceo of wellpoint we proudly support the march of dimes and all they do to reduce the rate of premature birth in the united states though premature births have recently declined Still, half a million babies are born too soon each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs that help moms and their babies live healthier lives. Please visit MarchofDimes.com and join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies.